And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Myth Bits. You made an excellent choice. Welcome to the World of Myth Bits. We are your hosts, Jenna and Joe Sparks, and this is episode 108. Give me that sweet California twang. The World of Myth Bits. Welcome to the world of Mythbits. We have quite the handful of housekeeping again. Uh, so first and foremost, a huge congratulations are in order for David Montoya uh, for landing a job as he re-enters the medical field. So we're all very excited and proud of him. But that's also going to mean for those who contribute to the world of myth... There's going to be some new deadlines, so don't fret, we'll keep you updated. And also, I think all of us ought to kind of keep in mind that this magazine doesn't come together magically on its own. Dave and Stephanie and everybody involved uh, work their butts off. So for that, I want to remind Dave and Stephanie and all of us uh, to put less pressure on ourselves um, and everything that might stress us out and be kind and patient to all of those who are especially going through major transitions in their lives. So, just wanted to put that that little bit in there. All right. Some bad news, unfortunately, because of California's newly imposed shutdown, JPWI, the Jason Ron Professional Wrestling International, has had to shut down Christmas Chaos, which was originally scheduled for December 19th. So, that blows but it is what it is, and that sucks. All right. So, if you get the newsletter, uh, which I should remind you, go to www.theworldofmyth.com if you don't. So you can get it because Stephanie and Dave, whoever's writing it, uh, puts things much more eloquently than I can verbalize them. So, uh, you wound up with a little treat if you received the, the latest issue. Um, but if you missed out, fear not. Zombie Works Full Moon and Helen, a werewolf anthology, will be released this coming Tuesday, the 24th. So, and, and we've got 20 whole stories. There were supposed to be 13, but we wound up with 20. So, all right. Moving forward, there has been movement on the revival of Dark Myth Comics, and uh, Dave has been in contact with artists and a potential editor-in-chief for the publications. And if you've listened to his podcast this week, uh, you already got to hear about the the uh, lose-lose underbelly of the comic world. So this is a pretty big deal. Um, I know we've kind of been anticipating. And again, we're trying to keep everybody like as updated as possible. But again, negotiations and, and really trying to get good ideas of, of how to navigate uh, the best course to publicize uh, the comics. So... If you recall last month, uh, the World of Myth had a 
pretty big server <laughs> issue that uh, Jay Montoya brilliantly fixed. But unfortunately, the issue caused a lot of micro issues throughout. So if you stumble upon something, don't worry, it's being attacked and handled. Don't fret. Um, fret apparently is this week's word of the week. Uh, on the note of World of Myth, issue number 91. Are you ready? It's the Christmas issue or holiday issue. Uh, and we want Christmas or holiday themed stories and submissions. Uh, just like the Halloween issue, I am super excited for this one. So stay tuned on those deadlines to take us back to the first bit of housekeeping. All right. So speaking of exciting endeavors, endeavors, uh, the success of the open contract challenge from the last two years have given way and paved the the introduction, the official introduction for 2021's open contract challenge. And on the official note, uh, we send a hearty welcome to Mr. Kyle D. Dobbs uh, as the new director of the contest. So we can see everything, including Kyle's filling of the seat, come February 2021. And speaking of the open contract challenge, Gabriella Balcom's novelette, Worth Waiting For, is looking at an upcoming release on Thanksgiving morning, the 26th. So, I think that is it for housekeeping. I'm out of breath. All right. So, our resident teenager and I uh, were watching, binge watching, Hannibal the past week. And I was not part of the original fandom. Um, no real reason. I just never watched it. And uh, they they put it on Netflix over the summer and it's kind of had this resurgence of popularity and that's why uh the teenager was like hey I really want to watch this show and I was like you know what I'll watch it with you let's watch it so fell in love immediately the show is 110% my aesthetic I love Brian Fuller I love everything he touches so the fact that I was kind of late coming to the party I was like really really disappointed in myself and so because of that, uh, you, Joe, I have been forcing now <laughs> you to watch it. Um, and we're only, you are only so far into season one, but so far, what are your... Two episodes. Yeah, two episodes. I may, I'm it's We only have so much time for Joe to watch stuff. He gets tired real fast. <laughs> so... But what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on it so far? Um, I think it has potential. It, I mean, like these shows, when they first start out, they obviously have to make an impact, but they also have this formula to adhere to and, and all that stuff like that. Uh, it, it's it's pretty good um, as far as the um, everything that's laid out, you know, um, but uh, yeah, definitely interested to see what's going to come, you know. Well, I think what's what's most interesting, I mean, beyond Brian Fuller's like creativity and imagination and how he applies it to his vision, um, it's not an unfamiliar sto story. You know, we we know Will Graham and we know Hannibal Lecter and we know a lot of these characters from, you know, the history of Thomas Harris's books. Um 
But what I think is is super fascinating is this hyper deep dive into psychology. And um, that's something that I think is painfully important when it comes to creation of characters and where your story navigates. Um, And so on that note, I really wanted to kind of pose this concept of how we create certain characters and the importance of it. But to get to that point, (laughs) um, I, I mean, you know, but a couple years ago, I was really into this, this idea of um, hybristophilia. And um, the fascination we have with romanticizing violent characters. Um, and there's tons and tons, like when, when I ask you to think of a very um, one-sided, potentially violent relationship from the media, is there any like that come to mind immediately for you? Uh, Joe from you. Yeah, see, he's in my notes. Um, Okay, so hyperstophilia, as defined by Wikipedia, is a paraphilia in which sexual arousal, I'm going to try to keep this toned down in case there are young listeners, uh, sexual arousal, arousal, facilitation, and attainment of sexual fulfillment are responsive to and contingent upon being with a partner known to have committed an outrage, cheating, lying, known infidelities, or crime. In Western society or culture, it's also called Bonnie and Clyde syndrome. Um, so if you look back at... The bad boy. Bad the, boy. The school. bad boy. Or bad girl. What about, it's predominantly bad boy. Um, it really is. I'm guessing that's more prevalent in female minds as well, right? Yes. Um, in fact, well, I, I actually have, I bring it up later in my notes, but I was doing some research for this because I wanted to come at it from a factual place um, and less opinion. But there was actually a study conducted where um, basically the, the, the scientists uh, took men with, a handful of men, I think it was up to 100 Um, some with psychopathy, some diagnosed with psychopathy, and they filmed them and they asked them questions, um, et cetera, et cetera. And they put these videos in front of a handful of women and the women were, um, ordered to rank the men, the men who had, uh, expressed, not knowingly to the women who viewed the videos, but the men who had uh, diagnosable psychopathy were ranked the highest amongst the women. And there are theories about it being because uh, appearance. Character traits. Apparently. And that's kind of what I wanted to delve into because um, I think it's fascinating. I think it is a very fascinating concept. And... um, 
taking it back and I, I, I kind of want to put like a, a, a giant neon sign here <laughs> expressing like by no way are we villainizing uh, psychopaths or characters who are deemed psychopaths. It's a tiny, 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 tiny percentage of people who are diagnosed as psychopaths um, who are actually violent. Uh, I just want to address the ones who have been diagnosed, not even diagnosed, just the ones who are kind of viewed in that light, um, as well as the characters who are very similar. Um, I have so many questions, and I know because my mind is racing a million miles an hour, and one of those comparisons is narcissism versus psychopathy. And most psychopaths actually uh, have egotism? narcissism. What about their ego? Is it so large it cannot be contained in this Could be. space? Okay. It could be. Okay. So, serial killers. Uh, Ted Bundy, for instance, he, as portrayed by Zach freaking Efron in, uh, ex- what was that movie? Extremely Vile. What was it? The the Ted Bundy movie that came out on Netflix. I cannot remember the title, okay, but I anyway, did see it. And I know. We I watched sh- it. I, I can't even remember. But they had Zach Efron, who Zach Efron is a very attractive person. They had Zac Efron portray Ted Bundy. Well, that's um, the only way that he would be able to lure the victims is because he's so good-looking and well-spoken, you know? Yeah. But he, in court, it's, I mean, like, it's it, immediately when you, I, I would imagine that a handful of, of you guys listening, the minute I brought this topic up, probably thought of Ted Bundy because Ted Bundy received so much romantic attention during the trial. Um, even Dahmer and uh, Charles Manson and Richard Ramirez, they received love letters, <laughs> you know? I mean, Richard Ramirez got tons and tons and tons of letters from from basically fans, from people who sympathized with him, um, and and those love letters, so that led to Doreen Leoy, who uh, she was the one who who seemed to remain the most constant in communication with him, um, and there actually is a number. There were uh, seventy five letters that she had written while he was imprisoned. Uh, eventually they started actually seeing each other face to face and she, (laughs) she went so far as to say, uh, when she saw him on TV, she quote unquote saw something captivating in his eyes. That's terrifying. But what's even more interesting is that Doreen was pretty, pretty adamant that Ramirez was innocent, which is crazy in that sense of the writing was on the walls, literally, (laughs) you know? Um, Okay. So then we can move on to Charles Manson. Charles Manson wound up almost married to Afton, Afton Burton. And I don't know if you remember hearing about her and the whole scenario that played out with that, but Afton Burton was only 17 when she started communicating with Charles Manson um, while he was imprisoned. This was fairly recently. (laughs) Uh, After going back, you know, going back to our cults episode, 
what's interesting is Burton actually still believed in what Manson was putting out there, prophesizing, basically. And she really believed in that. Like, she fought tooth and nail that she shared those beliefs. Um, So as Manson aged and grew nearer and nearer his his expiration, um, loyal fans, they still reached out to him with, with letters and gifts and even money. So Burton was put in charge of all of that. She she took over basically his estate, I guess you could say, just handling the money and all that. Um, and also she had a website where she kept people informed on his health. Um, because if, if you don't remember, Manson's health really, really started deteriorating um, shortly, not shortly, but past couple years before he died. Um, and she... <laughs> This woman who wanted to marry him, uh, she wanted to secure legal rights to his corpse after he died. So she could put him on display and charge and make money off of having Charles Manson's corpse. So between Burton and Doreen Leoy, it's interesting because Leoy thought Ramirez was innocent and... Um, Burton, you could argue, was just in it for money. You know, it's it's hard to say. But here's where this whole conversation kind of turns and shifts to our youth. Because, um, sites, sites like Tumblr, which kind of like Reddit and, and even Twitter and a lot of these these social media sites kind of har- like have their own little harvest of insanity, <laughs> you know, like just these little chunks that if you dig too deep, you're going to wind up in like a really dark space. Um, but on, on Tumblr in particular, there's like fierce, devout lovers and fans of of kids like the Boston Mar- the Boston Marathon Bombers um who's the the person who opened fire at a movie theater in Aurora Colorado during the Dark Knight Rises screening um and qu- killed 12 people let's just remember that um oh, that Joker guy yeah. yeah uh even Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold Klebold the the Columbine shooters um and these are boys who are romanticized. They are worshipped by mostly young girls. And they basically uh, say, oh, well, he he's too cute. He's too handsome to have killed these people, which I imagine is what a lot of people saw during Ted Bundy's days, during, you know, even Dahmer. Even, well, I don't know what people said about Dahmer. I, I don't know. Um and I think that's that's crazy. You know, it's 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 very strange that based on somebody's appearance alone, you can excuse these monstrous crimes. You know what I mean? And um or not even excuse, but you can it's not a deal breaker. For your attraction. And that's 
that's kind of what I want to get into. Um, so let me take a breath. What are you, so far? What are you? What are your thoughts? All I can think of is the many horrible instances that the internet has fallen and like you hear all the time about these these horror stories like real life stuff that that these copycats or also um there was that one kid he um he he went and he murders his girlfriend and put it on the internet right Mm. and then the on uh, twitter she was like uh mildly famous on social media is that the one you're talking about yeah that one and oh, then, that uh, was horrible. Yeah, definitely. It, uh, it's, it's it's sticky icky. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So going back to hybristophilia, uh, Catherine Ramsland, a professor of forensic psychology, has suggested a few theories as to why, in particular, these people are uh, romanticized. For instance, quote, Some believe they can change a man as cruel and powerful as a serial killer, unquote. Also, others see the little boy and the killer that the killer once was and seek to nurture them. Um, And I think that's interesting. So... Or slash psychotic. Yeah. (laughs) And, I mean, there's so much to unpack in this. And, like I said... A couple years ago, I had kind of delved into this this aspect of psychology because I wanted to write about it. So that's why it's a very like a uh, interesting concept to me. Um, and in the media, there is there are so many portrayals of this. And we don't even realize how subtle it is. And I mean, like, I'm sure at the top of your heads, you know, you can think of, especially after I said Bonnie and Clyde syndrome, you can think of natural born killers. You can think, I mean, Bonnie and Clyde, any iteration of Bonnie and Clyde. There's, there's so many. But I think there, there are these, these, like I said, subtleties. And um, my theory that I would like to kind of put out there is as like everything Catherine Ramsland said regarding, you know, some believe they can change him or others see the little boy that the killer once wasn't want to nurture him. I think there's one extra aspect from, and this is something I know because I've done it. I can't tell you how many times the exception Romanticizing, in particular, characters. And you see the way, and typically this trope is applied to heteronormative male-female relationships. Um, And it's very easy to apply it to this idea that you or the the object of that the the quote unquote psychopath the the villain the violent one um you would be the exception and to kind of give you 
some concepts uh, or some ideas of why I'm talking about this. It's you have the Joker and Harley Quinn. Quintessential. No pun intended. You know, it Harley thought she was the exception. But she wasn't. But she thought she was, but she wasn't. Twilight. Like, I don't know if the Twihards are going to come at me, but that one is so subtle. I mean, like, yes, there are, like, uh, appalling examples of the abuse of power in that relationship, but the fans alone and how they... I mean, I'm sure you guys remember, like, there's, it's impossible not to remember that point in the history of the 2000s was the Twilight franchise and how people worshipped the character Edward. He was by no means a good person, <laughs> vampire, whatever. Um, and again, the exception look at it's just it's there two things about that real quick uh one all i can think of is the bride of chucky remember the whole premise of how she became the doll anyways mm. and then remember her boyfriend at the time they posed these photos you know and, and well very good example yeah. yeah so then they kind of poke fun or i'm not sure if they poke fun or bring to light that exact scenario two I have a theory mm -hmm. about uh, the female mind on that aspect is because I feel that it is a detachment from themselves because it is so far away. Okay, so it's like these characters are so far away from them that it's not close enough to be able to. Oh, yeah. Because I'm pretty sure had they seen these actions up close and personal, they would be a different tune. But it's also a count of, like, there's a joke in The King of Queens where... Uh, Carrie and Doug are going to go and they're going to bed and Carrie's reading through a magazine and she says, oh, you know, I, I, I can't remember the celebrity. I'm just <laughs> going to say Brad Pitt. My freebie is going to be Brad Pitt. And she said, and then she looks at Doug and she says, who's your freebie? And then Doug's like, mm, and he's like, I don't know. Scarlett Johansson. I don't know. Ooh, I think it's just going to be your hairdresser. Good night. <laughs> and it just became so personal. And that's the joke is because. When it's more in front of you, it's apparently a different situation, which makes no sense to me because a celebrity is a real person, you know, um, and hairdresser is a real person, you know, so it's, it's it's odd to have that detachment, you know. But, and I know this because I I am very much somebody who romanticizes so many things that should not be romanticized. Um, it's because it's totally unfeasible. It's, it, there's no way you could go to the salon. You could go to, I remember you once making this joke about, uh, Cinnabon girl who worked at Cinnabon. <laughs> and you could easily walk up to her. There's a chance there is no chance that somebody's going to walk up to Brad Pitt and be like, hey, hey. And he's going to be like, you know what? Yeah, okay. I mean, like, 
maybe if you are in inner circles, etc. That's why he goes to actor training. He's <laughs> gonna go to actor training to be able to like fight them off. They call them what, they call them what gold diggers, man. Fight oh, yeah. off the gold diggers. <sighs> okay. So anyway, <laughs> the how you you kind of put it into an interesting thought process is that yeah, there's that distance. There's that um you want it, but you know you'll never have it. And that's not to talk about women in particular who um wind up in abusive relationships or things like that. Like because that is unfortunately a very, very big reality. Um but talking and and even uh Catherine Ramsland, I think it was her, had pointed out uh that a lot of times this concept could also be considered that uh, violent people could be considered the perfect, the perfect partner because you always know where they are if they're imprisoned. Um, you don't have to really do a whole lot of maintenance in the relationship, you know, and, and you can put in as much effort as you want, but it doesn't have to be, you know, a ton. And you have somebody who's there for you emotionally. Um, and you, if you wildly fantasize about, um, you know, relations, <laughs> physical relations, uh, there's not, I mean, I think it's just interesting, this notion of, of what exactly is being sought after. And so going back to that trope, you know, like I said, I, when we watched you, It's hard not to love the main character, Joe. You know, sometimes he makes really stupid decisions and you're like, oh, my God. I fell in love with the character love. I was like, I will mar marry her in a heartbeat. Sorry, Joe, my husband. I'm going to marry love. <laughs> like, we're going to run off together. And uh, spoilers, but love was just as horrific in her actions as Joe. And even, you know, kind of falling under that same concept, Killing Eve, which is one of my absolute favorites. Um, and again, I would, I fantasize, I mean, not fantasize, but it's like, ask Joe when we sit down and we watch it and something with Villanelle comes up and she has some kind of emotional release. And I'm just like, oh my God, I would just hug you forever and never let you go. Like, I just, I can't help it. And I think it's interesting because we don't see the trope very frequently with women. And because a lot of times when women, I mean, honestly, let's put it out there. If a woman shows the same kind of behavior that a man shows, like we're talking about like Edward Cullen or like Joe from you or like the Joker, uh, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of names thrown around that you know, it's 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 a very unbalanced idea. One exception to that rule, that chick that played Supergirl in that episode where they go to the... Melissa Benoist. Yes. The um, uh, Crisis on Earth X from um, The Flash. Or was there a crossover? Arrowverse. Or Arrowverse. <laughs> um, but other than that, I think... The other characters weren't really well. No, because you have uh, new and upcoming uh, uh, 
portrayals. What was that one? Broken Mirrors? Was that what that was? With Amy Adams? Mm. Remember? And the mother, her mother was there, and she had her sister, and the mother was... Oh, um... Sharp Objects. Sharp Objects. There Jeez it is. Louise. Even though, you, you know, she's more... She's more attractive and and also not all put together on there. You know, and then plus her mother was, well, an icon. So I think it's becoming more. But like back like when Monster came out and they used Charlize Theron and just kind of like carved her up. Eh, yeah. Kind of thing. Well, and I think that kind of comes into this notion, kind of what, what we kind of tapped into last week with... Uh, portrayals in the media and Gillian Flynn the writer of Sharp Objects in Gone Girl and uh, Dark Places she has a habit of writing characters who are basically the polar opposite of what we've been exposed to in the media before I think it's interesting that uh, you know like I said coming up with so many of these examples of typically men um it's kind of fun to turn on its head and start applying it to women because we use these tools as making these male characters more interesting, more fascinating. And, and like I said, we romanticize them and, and women uh, dream about them and, and all of these things. But we're kind of turning this subject on its head when suddenly you kind of instigate the idea of it being a woman, you know, because like I said, it's like the best example I can think of is is villanelle from killing eve which i already talked about but she's a perfect example like i said i'm in love with her like she is the perfect character to me because she's fascinating um you know physically appealing she's gorgeous uh and and she's just hilarious she's a great character killing eve the the characters behind it are amazing characters first and foremost but when you kind of start deconstructing this trope I think that's what's interesting about it. And um, that kind of takes me back to the beginning because we kind of wibbled and wobbled there. But going back to the beginning when I brought up Hannibal and again, that show ran from 2013 to 2015 and Thomas Harris's portrayal of, of Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter, it was not erotic but Brian Fuller's version oh boy (laughs) and I sat there and I was just like now kiss you know now kiss now kiss now's the perfect time and that's something I kind of kept catching myself doing because I'm like why am I the term is shipping uh a victim and the the villain you know and like I said we do that all the time we just don't always realize it and I, I'm hyper aware of it and I'm still like you know in my head I'm like they uh have run off together and I know I know how the stories end because the books but in the uh show without giving any spoilers you're just kind of like you can kind of create this almost happy ending and I'm like why would we want that even again killing Eve we were watching it kind of in sync catching up um 
I want them to live happily ever after. I want them to run away together. Um, but then what? What's going to happen if these, the the victim, essentially the victim and their abuser, <laughs> it's not going to be good, you know? And I think that's kind of why and I, I may get slandered for saying this, but why I personally loved Birds of Prey so much. Because you get to see Harley Quinn get away from the Joker and kind of, again, turn the trope on its head. And um, all of his behavior is excusable. He's the Joker. He's, you know, we've, we understand, well, the whole point of the Joker is we don't fully understand. But that's the kind of behavior you expect from a character like that. Harley Quinn, on the other hand, and the the rest of the Birds of Prey, I think that's why uh, the movie got <laughs> many vocal, uh, <laughs> many vocal, angry, what's the word, uh, harassers, <laughs> because suddenly behavior that was acceptable for somebody who we have seen constantly represented is suddenly the other gender. And seems like this whole thing is more about the destination or the uh, journey, not the destination. What do you mean? You know, because so you have the story. Okay. So you have these characters who are being developed and you have these stories and they're able to help you empathize almost with these characters who are not, not that they're not so much not likable, but they have such evil deeds under their belt, such as with Villanelle, and she's a trained assassin, and she's killed a lot of people, and there's no coming back from that, Mm-mm. right? So it's odd, you know, the, the whole thought process behind it. But what's interesting about that, too, is how you point out about how you can empathize and, and you're being led down these paths you know and i think that's more so the power of the storytelling mm-hmm. that they're actually being able to kind of roll this ball out in in a in a way that you can actually relate yeah which i think just a little bit i think that also has to do with the mindset of the detachment because these are fictional characters oh yeah in in, in personal real life situations though i'm pretty sure that it is a different scenario um you know if you let's say you commit a dui or something like that okay um which is not a small crime do not drink drive ah psa you have a mandatory jail time sentence for something like that in some states in some states (laughs) okay so the issue with that is when they put you into the jail system and even though you have a small offense right you are put into big boy jail right so you are put in there who are people who are not convicted but are under suspicion of violent crimes and everything like that so you're now in a different place Mm -hmm. okay you are now amongst the fantasized okay so think that's what helps the mind accept these stories because they're only stories and only fictional characters and then when you 
really see the other side, then it kind of changes a little bit for you. Yeah. Um, with that, I feel that I have to put out there because I make these comparisons between fiction and reality. Um, I think, too, that if you are a prisoner and you have been convicted and if you are fessed up and everything about these crimes, then it is a different story. You know, mm-hmm. you definitely don't need to judge anybody ab- no. about. No, the whole conversation I wanted to start was about the. Yes, that that's where the part got up because yeah. that kind of got into a different branch. But and I don't I... think so, because like I said, the whole what I wanted to introduce was a conversation about the psychology, because sometimes I feel like like. When you're trying to write interesting characters, we don't always take that into account. Yeah. Or we just kind of give it like a generalized, oh, this person has depression. We don't go into the depth of it. We don't go into, we just go off of off of these assumptions instead of really kind of working to define these concepts. And I think that's what's going to create better characters especially women or marginalized people, uh, LGBTQ, uh, uh, people of color, just anybody who's not the majority. I think just doing a service of really pushing to understand these ideas. And that's kind of what I wanted to tackle. So you didn't go off of track, I don't think. I think you, you stuck right there in there because... Well, I wouldn't say so far off track because of how you can write these characters is obviously they're based off of real events because I had brought up that guy earlier and um, which is a horrible instance, you know, and posted the pictures on the Internet too after it was done. And then that, also that YouTube video of those kids that go over to that girl's house. Yeah, the screen killers. Yeah. <clears throat> um. That's another example. I Billy from Scream. Oh my god, I loved him. I should not have loved him. Mark Wahlberg in Fear. I thought he was the sexiest. Oh my god. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like these toxic, toxic characters. Okay, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you. So I feel that it's kind of hard to um, detach the separation between the fictional and reality sense because. If you are so attracted and non-judgmental to that, that type of person, why is it you're so judgmental against a real person, you know, on the same mm-hmm. crime? Okay. No, that's... Like you just said, Scream. The guy from Scream. Yeah. It's like, okay. Skeet I mean, Rich. Oh, my God. That's exactly Mm-mm. the point. Okay. Yeah. Skeet Rich. Boom. Fantasize. The kid... <laughs> who reenacted said scene yeah no the exact same thing because they enacted a real horrendous even though i'm sure that there's a nice little group of people who you know defend them yeah it's a it's a horrendous event you know and yet on this other side you have it portrayed and 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 you have such a a fascination with it Mm -hmm. this is odd yeah, it's very odd, and I, I still stand by, I think it's interesting, and I feel like to really, like, dig is, I mean, you'll find so much more. You know, I, I feel like this is kind of an endless, an endless tunnel of comprehension 
of what these tropes do and, and what they mean. And, you know, and because and we can then go into morality. We can go into, you know, what defines morality, you know, like all of that. We can get into all of that. But for now, it's it's this just the tip of the iceberg, honestly. Um, and so it's I don't know. I, I always I, I've just thought that this was a very interesting idea because like I said it's something I, I wanted to write about a couple years ago obviously it didn't get fully fleshed out and I'm, I'm excited for the future of seeing these kind of explorations more of and not in you know a purely just for entertainment's sake but um you know, I've long, I mean, from the days I was in high school and I would do, you know, film analyses, that was like, that was my thing. That, so that's kind of where this comes from, where this stems from is just these like psychological concepts from the media that we're exposed to, that we idolize, romanticize, that we look up to, that we are inspired by, because I'm inspired by many <laughs> characters that I read about or watch, whatever. Um, and so that kind of comes into that, like, where you're able to dictate the separation of reality versus fantasy. And again, this is a huge conversation. <laughs> but I think it's just something for everybody to kind of think about, especially if you're writing, especially if you're creating, especially if you are putting something out there um, in any creative facet is just the the notion of what these portrayals mean. You know? All right, guys. You can find us at theworldofmyth.com. Also on Facebook and Twitter at the World of Myth Bits Podcast and the World of Myth Magazine. And also on Instagram at the World of Myth Bits. Thank you for sitting with us during this entire delightful conversation. I had fun. Agreed. Thanks for listening. Until next time. The World of Myth Bits. I'm the Joker, baby.